I am just like so excited for this evening. Um, it's one year into our church plant, and uh, it just feels crazy. Um, when you guys walked in, did you guys get one of these, these little packets that we've put together for you? Just, does that, everybody have one of those? Um, I wrote you guys a letter. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I wrote you guys a letter. I just wanted to um, kind of take a, a page out of Warren Buffett's book and write an annual letter. It's not as long as his. It maybe isn't as helpful as his financially, but uh, I think that this will be helpful to just kind of know what happened over this last year, uh, what we saw happen, and what we're looking forward to in the next year. And so uh, that's on there. On the back, of course, you know us. We got a declaration. So uh, there's a declaration on the back uh, that you can declare over the coming year, and so hopefully that blesses you. Um, also, uh, we just had our first Foundations class. Foundations is a culture class that we do. Um, it's just a two-part uh, two class, um, 2 p.m. on Sundays. And uh, we, we talk about just what's the story of Saints Hill, where do we come from, um, and where are we going, and how can you get involved in it? So if you're curious about any of those questions, uh, make sure that you come next Sunday. over at the We're in the Fireside Room, which is just right out these doors down the hall. And uh, we're, we're going to be uh, there at 2 p.m. next Sunday. Um, what I wanted to do in this last uh, Vision Series um, message was I wanted to talk about the importance of God's voice in our lives. Um, it, it's funny, I find oftentimes that I'll meet with Bria, Bria's our director of operations, the gal who was doing our um, offering earlier, just like making this church basically function, so I'm so grateful for her. And uh, I'll ha I have a meeting every Tuesday with her at the Newburgh Bakery, and it's like, very frequently I'm like, something's on my heart. Something's brewing, and then I look at what I'm supposed to teach on on Sunday, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not it. It's this. And so many times I just get up here and share whatever's on my heart. And, th and this is kind of one of those moments. It's something I've been wanting to talk about, and it's just really perfectly fit in to uh, this last moment in our, um, in our vision series. Now, to start, what I want to do is I want to begin with what I think are the four most important thoughts the four most important beliefs that undergird kingdom thinking. If we want to think kingdom, here's the four premises that we all have to understand in order to think kingdom. So um, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. And, and we're just going to go through uh, the first couple of chapters of Genesis quickly together. And, and, and hopefully this sets a, a, the groundwork, the, the foundation for what it means to be people of his voice. What it means to be people of the voice of God. So uh, Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The, the pre first premise of kingdom thought is this. God creates out of community. Let us make mankind in our image. It's plural. What is that about? It's this. God doesn't create out of a need. He creates out of a surplus. God isn't creating because he needs people. He's creating because he wants people. What does that mean? What it means is that God is not interested in creating uh, beings that he needs, and if, if he did need them, he would need to control them because he has a need that they need to fill. 
Because he creates out of surplus, out of a, a surplus of relationship, he doesn't need to control humans, he makes them to be free. He's interested in the variable. God is interested in a variable. He's interested in humanity and the unique thing that humanity may bring to the table that he never thought of. Second is this. Look down at your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. It says this, The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God makes a garden, he plants two trees. Why? He puts two trees in the garden because if he had put one tree in the garden, we wouldn't have had a choice to not choose him. Therefore, love would not be possible. It's not loving to create something, or uh, imagine this. Imagine that I get together with some smarter, you know, George Fox engineers, and I say, let's build a robot that every day I come home, this robot's going to give me a shoulder massage. Every day I come home, this robot's going to be really nice to me and say wonderful things about me. Let's build the robot. And they're like, okay, I think we can probably come up with something close to that. We build it. When I come home and I get the back massage or I get the nice words spoken about me, is that robot loving me? No, I'm loving me. <laughs> we need two trees so that we have a choice to love or to not love. Second premise of all kingdom thought is this. God is more interested in giving you the ability to choose than controlling you. He plants two trees in the garden, and what, he, what God wants is he wants hand-in-hand hand, relationship over perfection. Third premise, verse 10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it separated into four headwaters. Verse 11, the name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. Okay. Verse 12, the gold of that land is good, in case you were wondering. Aromatic resin. Nice. doTERRA, young living. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Why on earth are we hearing about these different materials that were present in Eden? We're hearing about the raw material because God doesn't build a garden that's complete and perfect on its own. It's good, but he's interested in humans, hand in hand, relationship with him, taking the raw material and building something even more beautiful with it. Third premise of all kingdom thought. God longs for relationship with him to use the material on earth for the flourishing of all creation. It is good. Uh, kingdom thought number four, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Have you ever read this and thought, where did this snake even come from? I thought God created this perfect world. Like, why is there a rogue snake who is saying the opposite of what God is saying? Where did he come from? Remember what Jesus says when he's with his disciples? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You have to imagine his disciples are like, when was that? <laughs> and where were you standing? Because we didn't see that. 
What, what, we, what we see going on here in the very beginning of the story of God and, and of people is that there is a battle between good and evil going on. There is a struggle between Satan, or in Hebrew, the accuser, and between God, the voice of truth. And what Eden seems to be is, is, an, is a heavenly outpost put on earth in the middle of this battle for God to partner with humanity to expand Eden and push back darkness. So third kingdom thought is this. Whatever we agree with, we increase. Agree with God, you get Eden increasing. Agree with the enemy, and well, we're living in the fallout of that. God said this, the enemy says this, who are you gonna believe? God's desire was to walk with humans hand in hand to push back the darkness and to expand Eden. And this becomes the very thing that God actually sends Jesus to restore back to us. It's not right that humanity would not be in relationship with God, expanding Eden, or in the language of the New Testament, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the kind of relationship that God has for every human. And and what I want to put forth to you this evening is that the way that God brings his voice back the, the, the way that God brings his world back to life is by bringing people back to his voice. The way that God brings the world back to that relationship, back to life, back to that freedom, back to that flourishing, back to expanding Eden is by bringing a people back to his voice. You see, we live because he speaks. Genesis 1 says as much, right? Right? God makes everything by speaking. We live because he speaks. Jesus reiterates this in uh, Matthew chapter four. He says this. uh, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that proceeds out through the mouth of God. I thought about this this week. See, God could have made us another way. He could have uh, snapped us into being. He could have clapped us into being. He could have blowed us into being. But speaking, why speak us into being? Well, inherent in all speech is meaning. Words are simply vehicles that carry meaning. That's why we need language to understand the meaning behind the sounds that somebody's making. Uh, The meaning is what separates sound from speech. So think about this. He speaks, we come about, humans are essentially meaning-filled creatures, purpose-filled creatures. The meaning of God channeled through speech to create humans. And what he's doing when he does that is he's setting us up for a life where we find our value, our purpose, our worth, our direction, all from his voice rather than externals. We were made by his voice. We live by his voice. This is super important. See, what what can happen when you get your identity from externals, from things around you, the voice of others, culture, your job, whatever it is, is you may find yourself needing to control the behavior, the speech of others in order to feel secure in yourself. Ever been there? When the person disrespects you or they hurt you, you may need them to say sorry in order for you to really move on. 
when the politician has the view that you perceive to be to devalue you. You need that person to lose power in order to feel secure in yourself. When the pastor says something you disagree with, it doesn't happen here, it happens in other churches, but when the pastor says something that you disagree with, you need him to say he's sorry and agree with you in order to feel good. The the problem is that if security in your identity is tied to the actions, the words of others, you will always need to control others to remain whole. It's just not how you were designed. You ever been there? See, God has designed it so that his words are what you live on, which means that when you're not living on his words, when you're living on the opinions of others or the cultural wax and wane of what's politically correct, when you find your value externally from his voice, you will feel like you're constantly shriveling inside, like you're dying because you've disconnected yourself from the words of life. Now, um, in Greek, there are two words used for the language of God. And simplistically, here's sort of how they break down. There's logos, which is the written word of God. It's what we have right here. It's, the, it's, it's, it's God's word written for us. And then the other word in Greek is rhema, which is the spoken word. Now, there's exceptions for these two, uh, but commonly this is how they're used. The beautiful thing is that God uses both logos and rhema to bring life and purpose to humanity. The written word of God is incredibly profitable. Just a few passages I want to show you. Psalm 119, 105. Your word, your logos, is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. What does the word of God do? When we get alone with the word and we take it into ourselves, it illuminates our direction, where we're going. You ever wondered what to do with your life? You ever wondered where you you should be going, the decisions you should be making? Get in the word. It's a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. John 8, verse 32, then you will know the truth, the words of Jesus, and the truth will set you free. So think about this. It's the written word of God, understanding the truth, understanding your, ori- your or- origins, understanding how God designed us. How many of you guys understand that if I were to go down to the Volvo dealership and I were to buy a car and they said, you got to put supreme uh, gasoline in there. You have to put the, the best gasoline in there, otherwise the car's not going to run. And I choose to put African peanut soup in the car. How many of you guys understand the car's not going to run? Because there's a design to the car that has to be honored in order for the car to function. It's the same with my life. I have to understand the truth in order to be free. If you're not free, maybe there's a lack in understanding of what has actually been said and written before. Next slide. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? You want to be pure in your, in your intention, pure in your motivation, pure sexually? Guard it by the word. Come to the word, soak in the word. Spend time, spending time by the word is how you live into what is actually true about you. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Notice this, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The word washes us. It makes us blameless. So you thought you were reading through the Bible in a year. No, you're getting washed. You're being made blameless. Just pause for a second and really think, where can you find so much benefit from a single source in this world? 
Where else can you find this level of fruitfulness from a single source in life? When I first started following Jesus, I was 17 years old, and I couldn't get enough of the scriptures. I remember being a freshman at George Fox, and I would wake up early. I'm talking like 4 a.m., and I would just be reading the Bible. It was feeding my soul, just, oh, that's true. I've never lived into that. Oh, that's true about me. That's why I've been so insecure for so long. I believe you, God. I repent. I changed my mind. Just constantly going to the Word, going to the Word. And, and I remember I would, I would look at my clock, and, and I'd have like, you know, for my first class at like 9.30 or something like that, and I would just be mad that I I had to go to class because it took me away from the Bible. I'm like, I'm going to bring my Bible in there and read my Bible. I'm like, I don't care about sociology. I care about this, you know, and um, I just loved the word. Do you, have, do you have time in your life where you daily take in the word, where the logos finds a place in your life? You have to live on this, study it, meditate it, find direction from it, the written word of God. But how many of you guys understand that God spoke, it was written, but that God is still speaking. He's still speaking. Rhema is the other, other word in Greek for words. And, and, and here's a little insight into what rhema means. In Christianity, the Greek word rhema is useful to distinguish between two meanings of word. While both rhema and logos are translated into the English word, in the original Greek, there was a substantial distinction. Next slide. Rhema most often means this, a thing spoken, a word or saying of any kind as command, report, or promise. Another definition is a spoken word made by the living voice. Hearing the living voice of the scripture jump out at you and grab onto your heart. Rhema is commonly used in the New Testament and the Septuagint. Whenever you see LXX, that's the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. For the Lord speaking his dynamic, living word in a believer to in-birth faith. I just love that, in-birth faith. It was like the moment when I first heard God clearly in my life. When I was, uh, I think I was like 16 or 17 years old when we went to Rwanda for the first time. Something like that. And I had never really encountered the suffering of the world or the poor of the world. And I didn't really believe in God. I remember my whole life I told my mom, I said... Uh, I'm not going to believe in somebody I don't see. And, uh, which I think is right. I think God will reveal himself to you. And I remember there was this one uh, day where we, um, we got to meet our sponsor child, and she had been sick with malaria in the hospital. Horrible situation. And she was frail and all this stuff. And, and I remember just thinking about my life back in the States. I thought, I get to watch movies whenever I want, shop whenever I want, eat whatever I want. I live in this great house with these parents that love me. I got my own car, like... What on earth did this girl do to deserve this kind of thing? And I was upset. And I remember I walked into the bathroom and uh, sat on the floor, and I remember I just, it was probably the only time I really ever really prayed. I said, if you exist, you're on the hook for this. How dare you make a world where this happens? What are you going to do about this? And I was pretty self-deprecating at the time. I didn't have really many good thoughts about myself. I didn't know who I was in Christ. So a thought that came through my mind that was positive rarely happened. I was sitting there and I remember I had this thought. I made you so that you could do something about the brokenness of this world. Rhema. What? You made, who, who are you? 
And it began this journey of opening the scriptures and finding that the rhema voice I heard throughout my day was actually the Logos voice that had been written long ago. And that God was speaking to me, bringing me to life. See, there's a moment when either reading scripture, hearing internally through your thoughts, hearing audibly, or through uh, the, the, when the scriptures are opened up, that words don't simply remain words. They jump off the page and they grab you by the heart and they pull you into your destiny. That's a rhema word. That's the inbirthing of faith. You guys remember when the angel comes to Mary to announce Jesus? This is, this is what the angel says to Mary. For no word from God will ever fail. So he announces this. He says, he says to Mary, you're gonna be with child. She says, Woe, and he says, for no, no word of God will ever fail. What is the word for word here in Greek? It's rhema. Now in context, Mary is receiving a prophetic word that she would bear the Messiah. So what is it? It's a freshly spoken word of God that changes the course of one's life. We need logos. We need rhema. It can come from an angel, it can come from a person, it can come right out of the Bible. I remember the first time that I read John 14 and I read, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. I'd heard it a thousand times, but all of a sudden I understood it and it was like, whoa. He's the way, I need to give myself to him. It's sort of like this. God speaks and we exist whether we understood what he said or not. God speaks and we exist. It's just it's it's right there in, in the text, and we un, and we live whether we understood what he was saying or not. Because you guys understand that there's people all over this world who don't understand what he's saying or listen to what he's saying, but they're existing on because he speaks. But also, God is the one who has the words of life that will make you really live, and you move from existing to really living when you understand what he's saying, or in the language of Jesus, when you have ears to hear what he's saying. See, I want the logos to light my path, to cut my heart, to keep me pure, to to teach me what's possible, but I also need rhema to keep me alive, to feed me, to unveil my destiny and revelation and wisdom. I need both. God has spoken and he's still speaking. And there's a demand on my life because of his voice in my life. According to John chapter one, Jesus is the word of God made flesh, the logos of God made flesh. And if Jesus is the model of what it means to be fully human, as he is, so we are. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. If we're to be like Jesus, then we are literally, as those who are in Christ, we are literally to be his words here and now. We are, our lives are to be his language here and now, so, so get this, we live because he speaks, but we speak because he lives. We live because he's speaking, but we speak because he's alive. How many of you have ever had somebody say something negative to you that changed your behavior? Anybody? You had somebody say something negative to you, about you, and it changed what you did. It's so funny, I thought sticks and stones are the only things that could hurt us, Right? There's two reasons why that happened. The first is this. Humans are made in the image of a God who speaks and worlds leap into being. So I'd put forth that our words have the authority to create worlds for people to live in. But secondly, the reason why it changed your behavior, what was said about you, is that you agreed with it. You agreed with it. It found a place in your heart. Your agreement empowered the thought. It empowered the word to spread in your life. Okay, so we know... Now, 
that we have the power in our tongue to change a whole life experience for someone. Life and death, it's in the power of the tongue. So the question becomes, how do I speak his words? How do I say what he's saying? I wanna talk a little bit about the power of declaring the word of God, the power of declaring his words. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but we have a giving page online. You can go online and you can give, and that's often how I give. Um, every month, I, we take you know, 10% of our income and we give it to Saints Hill. And the other night, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I just got paid, okay, I need to go and I need to give. But I didn't really feel generous. Ever been there? I uh, didn't really like, I was like a cheerful giver, like a scheduled giver, God. Um, I kept on thinking of all the things that I need to pay for. I'm like, I don't, there's this, the water heater is leaking, Lord. There's so many other things that I need to do right now. And this money could go to that. And, And so, I don't know if you know this, but we have a declaration online. So you can declare what we declare oftentimes here at church. You can declare it and then you can give. And so I, th- I thought, I just, I need to declare the truth so that I can be ready to be generous. And so here's the declaration uh, that we have. So it says, thank you, God, for everything you have given us. So imagine this. Okay, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of like, uh. and then I read this. Thank you, God, for everything you have given us, the rich valley we live in, the wealth that comes from it, the seasons that come and go and produce abundance in every way we are so blessed. Thank you for the ability you have given us to think and to solve problems. The physical ability to work and produce income for our families, it's all from you. We know that you never hold back anything good from us and that you are a good father who delights in his children. So today, as we give back to you what you've given, we also declare your will over our valley. Abundance would come to every home. You would be honored and our valley would flourish. How many of you guys know that I was not feeling stingy after reading that? Why? My heart was completely changed as I declared the truth about my father and the truth about my purpose hand in hand with him. See, oftentimes what we do is we, we notice a lack in our lives and we go, okay, I just need to pray for it. So I could have been like, okay, God, I don't feel generous, so just make me generous. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, um, how about this one? Lord, please make this easy. Still not easy. Or I could align myself with what's already true about me and I could walk in accordance with the truth. You see, one prayer is a prayer from lack. The other prayer is a prayer from standing on the logo, standing on the rhema that's been spoken over your life. It was my agreement with his character, his intention to bless me, and my purpose being found in being generous like my father that spoke to my heart and aligned my behavior with the truth. What we speak over ourselves, even internally, changes our hearts. When you, I mean, imagine this. When you you say over yourself, I am righteous, according to Romans 8, verse 1, Hebrews 10, and Romans 5, I'm righteous. When you say over yourself, I have every spiritual blessing, according to Ephesians chapter 1. When you say to yourself, I am equipped to defeat every enemy I encounter, according to Ephesians chapter six. I'm full of the Holy Spirit, according to Acts chapter one. Nothing can remove me from his favor, according to Romans chapter eight. When you, what you're doing when you do that is you are renewing your mind by declaring and believing personally what he has already spoken to be true about you. It's hard to declare something you don't believe. So it's important that we renew our minds daily so that we can believe what's true about us and walk in it. 
And Joni, uh, one of our elders, and, and Jacob and I, when we were writing our 10 core values, we would sit around and we'd read through our core values and we would just laugh with like Holy Spirit joy. They were just so good. <laughs> I was like thinking, if what we say creates worlds, then speaking the value system of heaven will end up seeing the value system of heaven. Just reading them. Jesus said this in, in John 6, verse 63. The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. So Jesus, when he speaks, his words are full of the spirit and they're full of life. And Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 16, here's what he said. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. So until John the Baptist, it's law and it's the prophets. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. In another translation, it says, everyone is pressing into it. In other words, people are so hungry for the spirit, the life words of God, that when it's, when it's proclaimed, when the truth is proclaimed, we will see people press their way into the kingdom. When you declare what's already been written, when you declare the word of God, when you stand on the truth, you will see people press, force their way to get a piece of that. I want to put forth that declarations of truth are like spiritual doors being opened for people to step into the kingdom. So you thought you were just reading words. You're not just reading words. What you're doing is you're creating an opportunity in that time, in that space, for the door to be opened for people to press their way into the kingdom. This is how we develop big people, not big ministry. You guys have, how many of you have heard us talk about that before? Big people, not big ministry. Okay, like two. Really? Raise your hands. You've heard of us talk about it? Okay, that's what I thought. The big person has such a renewed mind they're so strong internally because of the truth that they're able to weather any external storm. So they've renewed themselves so much, they think saved that they're able to weather whatever happens in their life. But the small person is tossed back and forth by the opinions of those around them. And this is really the battle for speech that we're seeing culturally. The battles of the 20th century were fought in trenches, deserts, and jungles, but I believe that the battles of the 21st century will be fought on websites and in blog posts and over social media. The power of speech is a huge deal today. Just a few cultural examples. First one. Oh, uh, uh, um, Joker is a wildly uneven mess and, and a dangerous one in the wrong hands. What is that? Without God's voice strengthening people in our culture, evil may strengthen them. Be careful of speech. Be careful of depiction. Next up. This is Joe Rogan. Uh, he has the number one podcast in all of America, and he has a YouTube channel. And YouTube has demonetized Joe Rogan primarily because he's had conservative guests on his show. And what he said is that it's not like YouTube is censoring us, like removing our videos. What it's doing, YouTube is incentivizing certain types of speech with ads in order to get only certain channels lots of views and ad time. Interesting. Or you all remember this. There's a BuzzFeed article. Here are the 50 biggest fake news hits on Facebook from 2016. What's so dangerous about fake news? It's fake. Unless the culture is waking up 
to the reality that words create worlds. Words create belief systems. See, this is the age where the power of speech is being recognized. And it's an amazing time to be a Christian because we already knew speech was powerful. It made us. We already knew speech was powerful. It's how we live. We know that what we say creates a world for people to live in. And we know that we, as followers of Jesus, have the words that are spirit and life, doors into the kingdom. So we have the opportunity to conquer the truth front, the speech front, by declaring his word in conversation. Oh, you really, you think that? Well, you know, the truth is actually this. Over ourselves privately, God, I've been having a really rough week, but I'm going to declare Romans chapter eight over myself today, and I'm gonna walk in the truth. With our families at the dinner table, Speak, I think it's so powerful for a parent to speak declaration of truth over their children. Let me say, this is true about you. Here's what the scriptures say. Here's your potential. Over a particular situation, God, I don't know what's going on with this relationship right now. Things are kind of crazy, but I'm going to anchor myself in your voice. And you watch what happens. We live because he speaks. We speak because he lives. So one year into this church, into our church, here's my prayer for all of us. It's wisdom and it's revelation. That we would increase in wisdom and we would increase in revelation from the Father. Ephesus is the only church in the New Testament that never receives a word of correction. Did you know that? In all of the New Testament, there's no correction for Ephesus. What do you pray for for the church that has everything? Here's what Paul prayed for. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray over you that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation rooted in his word, opening doors to the kingdom. There's only one time that I know of in human history where nations came to sit at the feet of one person to hear their wisdom. And it was Solomon. Solomon had kings and queens come sit at his feet. Why? Because he had divine wisdom and revelation. It is a big deal to hear from God. People force their way into spaces, pay costs, fly around the world in order to hear from people who receive divine wisdom and revelation. Saints Hill, we are a, ch- a people, a church, who take time to listen, to read, to say what he is saying in order to infuse a place with the life-giving wisdom and revelation of God. And I believe that the Willamette Valley will benefit from what you hear from the Lord in the secret place when you're alone. One of the, we have so many prophetic words over our church, it's staggering, and I just spend time just going over them all the time and reading them. But one of them that is just so amazing is that, you know how like we don't, we, we say, hey, can you give me a Kleenex? But by that, we just mean any kind of facial tissue. It's like, we've seen Kleenex so often that just every, any facial tissue, it's just a Kleenex, whether it's Kleenex brand or anything like that, right? There was a word over our church that Newburgh would become synonymous with the move of God, and you wouldn't be able to pull apart the two that Newburgh would become synonymous with the presence of God so that when people come to, when they, when they, oh, have you heard of Newburgh? What they're really saying is, have you heard of the move of God that's happening there, the presence of God that's being poured out there? I believe that we will see that because as we steward our internal culture, 
Whatever that is will eventually become the culture around you. So practically, two thoughts for you. For all you guys who are like, okay, so what do you actually mean? Here's what I mean. Practically, first thought, number one, live off of his word. Live off of his word. Spend time in, his, in the scripture. Um, I uh, started doing this about a year ago where I would just paraphrase chapters of the Bible. Um, not to like release to anybody or anything. I'm not like Eugene Peterson or whatever. But I would just like... I would just write it for myself. I'm like, okay, if I, were to put this, if I were to put this verse in my language, how would I say it? And I, and I did it for just ch- whole chapters, and I saw so much, so much logos become rhema. I was like, whoa, oh, that just, I never even saw that there, and wow, that connects with me. I mean, things that our church is built on happen from this season of just, I'm gonna go, you know, Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, Hebrews 10. Like, I'm gonna just go through these, these passages, I'm gonna put them in my own words so that I can kind of grasp what you're saying, and I wanna live off of that, those words. And so I just encourage you to do that. You're gonna probably get some things wrong, you may interpret things, you know, incorrectly, but it's how we understand what God has, was, has already said, just watch and see what happens when you actually understand what he's written down. But secondly, use these declaration cards. We are so excited about these. Just If you have these, you can kind of pull them out. Um, we, we have our 10 core values right here on cards. And uh, myself, our team, uh, Lexi, Bria, and Jacob, we wrote a declaration for each of our 10 core values. Okay, I'm going to try that again. We wrote a declaration for each of our 10 core values. It's a good thing. And, and what you can do is you can go, oh, we have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. And you flip it over, and on the back side, Father, we see all the way back in Genesis, one, that the purpose of being human is to be with you. By the Holy Spirit, you've made your home with us and answered Jesus' prayer of John 17. So today I declare the presence of God is in me. That where I go, he goes. That he is at my right hand and whatever I touch is being touched by him. The presence of God refines us, teaches us, gives us direction, and fills us with joy because wherever he is, there's fullness of joy. We will be a people of strength because you are with us. We are confident we will see the goodness of the Lord come through his presence in our lives. Amen. And then you just go to work. And then you just get in the car and you go to work. And what did you just do? You just filled yourself up with the truth so that when you step into that work environment, you don't end up looking more like the work environment. The work environment ends up looking more like heaven. So I just am so excited about these. Use these. Hold on to these. I, I was talking to Bria earlier, and she's, she's getting like a little, you know, like picture rail in her house to just kind of put them on them and flip them over one at a time and just, just have the word of God constantly being declared over us is so important. And just watch what happens. Watch what happens when you take the logos and you take the rhema and you put them into your heart and put them into your world. Let's all stand together as we close.